0: Many, many, many weeks now we've been in a series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and specifically for the last couple months, we probably probably the last couple months, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, but in the midst of all that, God had God had given me a message out of Colossians chapter three, and it seems like we've been staying in Colossians a lot here lately. But God had given me a, a message in Colossians chapter three that I really really felt strongly about. And I was just trying to think, Lord, when's the best time to preach this? And um, probably not a great message to preach on a Sunday morning. Maybe we need to preach it on a Sunday morning, you know, but uh, definitely a message that the church needs to hear, the backbone of the church needs to hear. And I know that's what I'm preaching to tonight. If you're here tonight, it's here because you're, you're here because you want to be, you're dedicated, and you're faithful, and uh, this is pretty much the backbone of the church, those that serve and work and pray and give. And uh, and so I want to talk to you tonight about this subject, living the new life in Christ. Now I'm going to be honest with you. This is not a message preachers ever want to preach, and it's not a message you're hearing preached. That's the problem. And because we're not hearing this message preached anymore. We have a, a younger generation that's coming up who has lost their way, even in our churches, even in our Baptist churches, even in our independent Baptist churches, because they're not hearing they're not hearing the truth of the Word of God, and everything I'm going to give you tonight is just straight from the book. So somebody says, "I don't think you ought to preach that. Well, it's in the Bible, if it's in the Bible, we should preach it, right? right. Amen? And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to stay right with our text this evening, and I'm just going to preach straight from the text this evening. Um, but I, I hope that you'll give me a good hearing tonight, and uh, this will be more like a lesson and it will a sermon outline or something something like that. Um, but I, I'm, I am especially burdened for our youth, and I know many of you are too. Church, listen to me. We're going to hell in a handbasket Fast, and it's like the new generation, this new new age generation. They don't even know which way is up or down, um, and nothing's black or white anymore. Nothing's right or wrong. You know what I'm when I say that. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Nothing's. There's no no absolutes. That's what I mean when I say black or white or right or wrong. There's no absolutes, and that's what kids are hearing in the on the college campus now that they're. Uh, that there are no absolutes, that we live in a relative society, and you know what, what's right for you is not right for me, and what's wrong for me is not necessarily wrong for you, and uh, we're all supposed to make up our own decisions. Church, you know what that is? That's humanism. That's humanism. And humanism, basically, in a nutshell, is saying this I have enough God in me to make my own decisions. So I will determine for me what is right, and I will determine for me what is wrong. And then we have a youthful youthful generation that says, that's right. No, that's wrong. (laughs) That's wrong because we have an absolute. Right here in this book, we have an absolute. And so we don't have to guess. We don't have to hope we're getting it right. Uh, We know. We can know because we have it right here in black and white right before us here and that's where we're going tonight, to the black and white. So right, look, if you will, at Colossians chapter 3 in your Bibles. And, and look, if you will, at, 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 uh, at verse number 1. And let's all stand when you get, get an opportunity. If you're able to stand, that is, let's stand tonight. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. And I hope, that, I hope this will be a help to you tonight. And I hope it will be a help to our young people. Um, Colossians 3 verse 1. Paul says to the church here, if ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We preached from that just a a couple weeks ago. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now notice the next few verses. The Bible says mortify That word mortify literally means to to kill. You've heard of a, a, a mortician. You know what a mortician does? A mortician deals with dead bodies. And the Bible says that we are to mortify, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And uh, what have you done? Verse 10, and I have put on who? Amen. On the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're trying to give you some knowledge from the word of God, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And you may be seated tonight. And just for a few moments, I wanna talk to you about that subject, living the new life In Christ, and so I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to give you a little bit of background about the book of Colossians because I think that'll that'll help you to understand where the Apostle Paul is coming from here in Colossians chapter three. and uh, And it's uh, it's seven fourteen right now. I've got my eye on the clock. I'll do my best to to keep uh uh, keep it uh, you know keep it relatively brief for you tonight. And um, I will say this: I was in the Spanish church this morning, and this is what they said: preach and don't stop. Just keep on preaching. And uh, and I'm not going to do that tonight, but I'm going to preach a little bit and teach a little bit. And I hope you'll, you'll hear us out tonight. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we love you. And thank you so much for the privilege to be here tonight. And God, we just appreciate what you've done here at Calvary today. And we sure missed our church family this morning. And uh, But we're so thankful that the blessings of God were pouring out on the congregation and then Lord thank you for what you've done tonight what a great service it's been Lord as the choir has sung Lord as we've sang together as a congregation as we have uh, recognized these that have uh, graduated from discipleship and Lord it's just exciting and then in just a few minutes Lord we're going to baptize some new converts and and so Lord we're just excited it's just a good day and it's a good time to be a part of the New Testament church Father, I pray that you'll bless our discussion tonight. I pray that it will be uh, uh, be interesting. I pray that it will be uh, be helpful. I pray it will make sense. And heavenly Father, please bring to my uh, Lord to my recollection what you have given me in the private privacy of the study. And I pray that, Lord, it will help our church to be a strong church and Lord to be a faithful church and to be a holy people. Lord, help us and and, and bless us now. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. Let me give you a little background about the book of Colossians, if I could. Of course, the book of Colossians is a letter, and it's a letter in which the apostle Paul uh, addresses the church that was located in the city of a, a place called Colossae. Now, again, a little background about Colossae. Colossae was known as a populous city. It was a wealthy place, and uh, and scholars tell us that it was a place of what they called considerable magnitude. It was built on a major trade route. And so uh, there was a lot of, uh, there, there was a lot of um, movement, a lot of transportation. Uh, there was a lot of people passing through and that, that type of thing. It was also famous for its wool trade, W-O-O-L, wool trade, Uh, and the city had a great reputation of what they called drawing great revenue from the flocks, a lot of sheep, uh, and so they were producing uh, wool from the flocks. The town, and this is where I want to get to, the town was also known for its fusion of religious influences. In other words, in this town or this city of Colossae, there were many, many different religious persuasions in the town of Colossae. There were some Christians uh, who lived in Colossae. That's why we have the book of uh, the, the book of Colossians and the letter to the, uh, the, the people of Colossae. There were some Jewish people that were there a little bit later on. Also they tell us that Gnosticism was uh, uh, evidently a leading faction in the uh, city of Colossae. Now Gnosticism, I'm gonna be honest with you, I had to sort of look that one up myself and, uh, and it means this it means esoteric knowledge of spiritual truth. In other words, there was only a small group of people in Colossae, or, or it was believed that there was a small group of people in Colossae uh, who understood the truth required for at least some type of salvation. It wasn't our salvation, it wasn't the salvation we preach in Jesus. But uh, they believed that there was just a little handful of people in this city that understood truth and they got revelations and all these things and prophecies. And because of that, they knew what you needed to do and the hoops you needed to jump jump through to try to gain some type of salvation. Not a salvation through Jesus and maybe not a salvation to heaven, but some type of salvation. It was also a city that was well known for angel worship. We get some of that even today in this in this day and time in which we're living. But the people worshipped angels, and especially Michael, the archangel. They uh, they they saw Michael the archangel as almost a a, a deity, and so they they almost worshipped Michael the archangel. Colossae was one of the few cities to have a sanctuary to uh, to a goddess by the name of Tyche, uh, and she was the goddess of fortune and prosperity. Uh, I'm not so sure that America's not serving that same goddess today, Uh, but the goddess of fortune and prosperity. She was uh, believed to be the daughter of the Titans or possibly the daughter of Zeus. Now, I gave you all that because I wanted you to understand, I I wanted you to understand where these new Christians were living. They were living in the midst of all this. They were living in the midst of absolute paganism and false worship. And so it wasn't about worshiping Jesus, you didn't just walk down the street and go to the Baptist church. You didn't hear the Bible preached necessarily, but it was, it was angel worship and it was goddess worship and it was paganism and heathenism. And so the Holy Spirit uses Paul to, to write this little letter, the book of Colossians, to those Christians that are living in a very heathenistic city. Now, I, I, I wanna point this out to you. It was a new message to them. It was a message that most of these that had been recently saved and were babes in Christ, it was a message that they had never heard in their life. Now they heard the gospel, they are now to be saved and they had come to Christ, they'd come to know Christ but some of these things that Paul was writing about in the book of Colossians, boy, this was brand new stuff and what Paul was saying was this, it's not enough that you just be saved but it's important that you live a new life a brand new life in Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't get saved and still continue on in this godlessness and paganism and heathenism. When you get born again, you are to live a brand new life in Christ. Now, I wanna tell you something. That's not just good for the people in Colossae. That's good for the people in America today. And uh, we had this conversation as we were coming back from Lancaster, Miss Karen was riding with my wife and I and Miss Lisa. And we were just talking about a lot of things and Miss Karen brought this up. And she's so true. She said, preacher, she said, you know, it it's so bothersome to see just the, the, the lackadaisical attitude of so many Christians today. And it seems like so many Christians believe, you know what, as long as I get saved, as long as I've got some fire insurance policy, that's all that matters. Friend, I want to tell you something. You'll not find that in the word of God. That's not in there. When you get born again, the Bible says that we are to become a new creature in Christ. And the Bible says those old things are to pass away and all things are to become new. And that's what Paul is writing to this church. He's saying, listen, glad you've gotten saved. I'm glad you've come to Christ. But it's very, very important that you come out of those things that you've been used to all these years, those things that you've grown up in, that environment, that climate that you've grown up in in the city of Colossae. Now, let me give you a few things tonight uh, concerning this, uh, this new life in Christ, what the new life in Christ looks like. How about this? Number one, we notice the new life encourages heavenly mindedness. Heavenly mindedness. All right, look back at your scripture, Colossians chapter three, verse one. Paul says, if ye then be risen with Christ, that's those that are born again. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are what? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with them in glory. And so here's what Paul says to the church. He says, seek those things where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, somebody says, pastor, I can't understand the Bible. Come on now, think a little bit. Right, let me ask you a question. Where does Christ sit on the right hand of God? In heaven, that's right. And so the Bible is saying this, that we're to we're to seek those things and we're to think about those things that are going on in heaven. We're challenged to be heavenly minded and to set our affection on heavenly things. But then if that's not enough, the Bible says it again. The Bible says, seek those things that are above. It's what the Bible says. It is the idea of, uh, uh, that we are to, to, to really place our thoughts upon the Lord. Seek those things which are above. That word seek, how a very powerful word. In fact, if you use that word in a negative sense, it literally means to plot against. Now think about it like this. If you plot against someone, if I plot against Brother Rodney, you know what that means? That means I'm thinking about Brother Rodney in a serious way. How can I get back at him? How can I hurt him? How can I destroy him? I'm thinking about him. I'm consumed with him. That's what the Bible's saying. In a good sense, we're to be consumed with Christ. We're to be thinking about Christ. We're to be heavenly minded. We're to set our affection on things above. Don't ask a question tonight, church. Are you really, really interested in the things of the Lord? Now, here recently, some of our younger Christians in the church have been accused of something. They've been accused of taking their Christian life way too serious. You're taking this. You're, you're taking this saved thing way too seriously. I mean, you know, and it is something. The world, the world doesn't mind you just sort of being half in and half out like them. But when you really get saved and your life starts changing, and you start coming on Sunday morning. And then you show up at 9.45 for Sunday school and you come back on Sunday night at six o'clock and Wednesday night at seven and you show up for revival. Boy, you start blowing their ever-loving mind. And uh, when you start giving a tithe and you start trying to dress like a Christian and you start carrying your Bible and you start giving a tithe and giving to the work of the Lord, you know what? The world comes along and says, hey, don't you think you're taking this thing way too seriously? I want to tell you something tonight, you younger Christians. The Word of God encourages us to take our Christian life very, very seriously. We're to set our affection on things above. We're to to be heavenly minded. We're We're to think. Think about the Lord and think about God and think about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you can't be involved in earthly things. I'm not saying that, but it's just saying this. You're gonna know, if you're living the new life, you're gonna know something. You're gonna know that heavenly things are a priority. So last year, some of you can relate to this. Last year, my wife and I, we, uh, we, we started watching a little baseball last year. We got a little perturbed NFL because they started kneeling and all that kind of junk, and so, um, and so we just, we quit watching it. And so, and I know baseball's not much better, but we started watching some baseball, and, and uh, anyway, you pray for my wife, all right? You pray for her. She was rooting for the Braves. You pray for my wife, amen? And, uh, and I was rooting for the L.A. Dodgers. Come on, Brother Ronnie, help me out there. And, uh, and uh, anyway, we were, you know, we were watching some baseball games and she was rooting for the Braves, I was rooting for the Dodgers. And, and, uh, and I knew that you know, Brother Ronnie is praying for the Dodgers. And, and uh, anyway, listen, we watched some of the season, but truth is, you know what? None of them made it to the championship. And I know some of our other people in the, in the church, they were sort of watching it and paying attention to it and keeping up with some of the, the scores and things like that, but none of our teams now, even the Braves, even you Braves fans out there tonight, you know what? They didn't make it. You know what I noticed about that though? I noticed the Sunday after that that nobody in this church seemed too upset. You know why that is? Because we know something. That's not priority. A baseball's not priority. And blowing up some pig skin and trying to carry it down through two pieces of pipe on the other end of the field is not a priority. And I like to play a little golf, but hitting a little white ball, a ball around the pasture and trying to get in a little hole is not priority. And uh, riding in a hot air balloon is not priority. And and, uh, roller skating is not priority. And and water skiing is not priority. And and bass fishing is not priority. You see, this is what I'm saying. If you're living the new life, you understand you can like those things and you can enjoy those things, but really what The priority is this. We're to be heavenly minded. We're to keep our mind on the Lord. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now listen closely. So I said this. I said that the new life encourages heavenly mindedness. How many believe that? If you believe that, say amen. Amen. I believe it's right there. I don't believe there's any way we can debate that. I believe it's right there. But I want you to look at this next point. Number next is this. Heavenly mindedness encourages holy living. So, get, get this now, and this, this is just we're, just, we're just teaching. God says, I want your mind to be on heavenly things. I want you to set your mind at that place where he sitteth on the right hand of the Father I want you to be thinking about spiritual things and heavenly things. And I'm not against you playing a little golf. I'm not against you doing a little bass fishing. I'm not against you uh, going to Carolines or something like that. But this is what God is saying. Understand that those things are not priority. That your mind is to be on heavenly things. But when you get your mind on heavenly things, that heavenly mindedness encourages holy living. Because think about this. There is nothing in heaven that is unholy or unclean. I, I just listen. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spit these out to you and you can jot them down and read them later in your devotions. How about Revelation eight? And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is, and is to come. How about Revelation chapter 20 and verse number six? The Bible says, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. How about Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 27? The Bible says about heaven, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so once we are born again, we are to become heavenly minded and that heavenly mindedness motivates us to live holy lives. Now, I could preach that part in a lot of churches and they would say, amen. Amen, pastor. Now let us have the benediction and go home. But Paul gave no benediction right there. In fact, Paul went on to tell us what holy living looks like. I want us to look at it tonight. So if heavenly mindedness motivates us to live holy lives, what does that look like? Well, I'm thankful that the scripture tells us. Look at verse five. After he admonishes us to be heavenly minded and to be holy, he says in verse number five, mortify therefore, remember what we said about that? If you ever see that word therefore, you go back and see what it's there for. And so because we're to be heavenly minded, that heavenly mindedness motivates the holy living Verse five, he says, "Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which also you walked sometime when you lived in them. In other words, you 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 used to live in these things, but because you're living the new life, you don't live in these things anymore." He says in verse number eight. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filth the communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Sing that you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So according to verse number eight, we're to put off anger, holiness demands. We put off anger. That's the idea of temper. We're to put off wrath, malice, That's wanting to hurt someone, evil intentions, blasphemy, filthy communication. Boy, I don't know about y'all. I'm amazed at how Christian people are talking. Man, oh man, sometimes I want to say, did you tell me you were saved? You better tell your mouth that. And so we're to put away filthy communication out of our mouth. And then in verse nine, we're not to lie. And we're not to do these things because we've put off the old man with his deeds. But I notice here there are five specific sins mentioned in verse number five. And these sins are not only sins, but notice this. These sins bring what the Bible calls the wrath of God. I want to look at these real quickly tonight if I could. I want to show them to you. How about this? Number one. It's the, it's the sin of fornication. Look what it says here. Verse number five. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. We understand the Lord could have put anything first, but in his, uh, in his inerrance here, he says here the first thing, fornication. So we're not to be involved as we're living the new life in Christ. We're not to be involved in fornication. Now, somebody says, Pastor, are you seriously gonna preach on this tonight? I seriously am going to preach on this tonight. Amen. And the reason I'm seriously going to preach on it, because it needs some serious preaching. Amen. Even in our Christian circles. The word fornication there in Colossians chapter three is the Greek word porneia. Porneia. You don't know what, we, what word we get from that. It's the word pornography. And it means this. It means illicit sexual relations, illicit sexual. Sexual relations. Now, I'm really interested in that word illicit, and I never, I never really studied that out. Illicit, illicit. Interesting word. The word illicit, anytime you hear somebody use that word illicit, it literally means this. It means illegal. You can look it up in your, your, your dictionary, and that's what it means. It means, it, it, you hear somebody say, that's illicit. It means it's illegal. In, in other words, in, in the sight of God, it's illegal. Now, pastor is intimacy. Illegal? Oh, no. Intimacy is a gift from the Lord that God gives to married couples. It's created by God. But here's what our Bible is saying. Any type of immoral intimacy is considered illegal. Now, you say, well, it's sure not illegal in America. You're right. But just because legislatures are are passing legislation to let these things be okay doesn't mean God is. Amen. And so, uh, listen, it may, be, it may be legal. It may be legal in America, but I'm just telling you, according to the word of God, it is illegal with the Lord. Now you say, preacher, what are you talking about? All right, let me give you some specifics. Any intimacy outside of the bounds of marriage is illegal in the sight of God. Now I know I, I'm, I'm preaching this and you preach this in the average church, man, it's, it's like you're preaching in Spanish. And they're like, what? Pastor, where are you? Where are you living? What, what what, age? What world are you living in? I'm living in his world. But I'm also living in his book. And somebody says, well, you know, preaching the word of God is no longer relevant. Listen, that's why we're in such a mess in America. Because we have people and politicians and sadly, even preachers that are saying that the word of God is not the word of God and it's no longer relevant. And I'm telling you, if we would get back to this book right here, uh, America would be in a lot better shape. And so intimacy outside of the bounds of marriage is illegal. I don't have the time for you to go to all these, but you can just jot them down. Hebrews 13, four. The Bible says marriage, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. How about 1 Corinthians chapter seven and verse number one. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. In verse two, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own Husband, now you know what you know what they tell us. They tell us out of thirty-four countries, America has the worst divorce rate of those thirty-four countries. But they also they also tell us something else that the divorce rate is going down. You say, "Wow, that's a odd preacher." Not really. You know how the divorce rate's going down? Nobody's getting married anymore. Now, I know, listen, you say, Preacher, you're on thin ice. Well, if I go through, he'll rescue me. I'll promise you that. Uh, but I'm just telling you, hey kids, let me tell you something. And and I know you look at me like I'm the T-Rex now, and you know I'm as old, old as Benjamin Franklin and all that kind of thing. But I'm just telling you, hey kids, it is still right to get married. I said it is still right to get married. Hey, it is still right to court and fall in love with somebody, and it's it's right to find that one that God has for you. And when God brings them into your life, it is still right to get married. And I don't care what the college professor says, and I don't care what what the politician says, and I don't even care what the preacher says, it is still right to be married. And the Bible is very clear about that. That to avoid this thing that we're talking about, we're to be given in marriage. So intimacy outside the bounds of marriage is illegal. tell you something else. Looking on another woman for the purpose of lust is illegal. Somebody says, ah, preacher, doesn't, doesn't hurt anything. All right, Matthew 5, 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Hey, fellas, a lot of times you don't have any control over the first glance. We live in such a wicked world. You can be checking out at Walmart and see more nakedness now than used to you could see in a, a pornographic bookstore 20 years ago. And sometimes you don't even mean to see stuff. Sometimes stuff pops on the TV and, and just godless and just wicked. And, and a lot of times you don't have any control over that first glance, but you have some control over the second glance. And you can determine whether to look back at it or not. And so looking on another woman for the purpose of lust is illegal. Everybody all right? Hold on tight. Homosexuality is illegal. You say, preacher, no, it's not. They just passed. I don't care what they passed. I'm telling you, in God's sight, it's illegal. Now I know we're not supposed to preach it anymore. They are right now passing legislation and have passed it, have passed legislation in the, in, in the country of Canada. And if a preacher gets up behind the pulpit and preaches what I'm preaching, technically, he can be arrested and placed in jail. And if you think that's gonna stay north of the border, I got another thing coming for you. It's heading this way. If some of God's people don't start standing up and letting their voice be heard and start crying out against some of this wickedness. Listen, church, I'm... Listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. Listen, we'll pick up speed on these other ones, but I'm just telling you, we're in a mess. We're in a mess. Uh, We have a generation of youth who who don't even know it's wrong. They don't know what's right. And I'm telling you, according to the word of God, in God's sight, it's illegal. Romans chapter one, verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Vile affections. Nasty affections. Well, you say, what, 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 what are they? What were these vile affections? Listen to this. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Now, I know this is the case. Just as sure as I'm preaching this tonight, some of you have this going on in your families. I got got it. I get get it. Some of you have loved ones that are caught up in it. And you say, preacher, I love them. And listen to me. You ought to love them. You ought to love them to Jesus. And I love them. And I have, listen, don't, don't don't judge me until you know until you you know where I'm at. Listen, I've dealt with several homosexuals. Prayed with them at the altar. And so I don't cast them out and cast stones at them. Man, I want to do my best to love them to Jesus. And if you've got family members and kids that are caught up in some of these things, listen, I'm not saying that you ought to hate your kids. Nothing can be further from the truth. You ought to love them and pray for them and fast for them and, and beg God for them. But I'm just telling you this, that we've got to get to the place in America where we no longer tolerate this stuff and accept this stuff as normal and natural. It's not. It's illegal in the sight of God. Leviticus eighteen twenty two. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Leviticus chapter twenty verse thirteen. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. And so homosexuality is illegal in God's sight. It's illegal. I'll There's something else. Incest is illegal. Man, I just feel like shutting my Bible and just, just preached a little while. You know, hey, you know why we are having an epidemic of incest in America? Because we have, we have become so familiar with the opposite sex, they no longer turn us on anymore. That is Right. By the time a boy's 20 years old getting ready to get married, he's seen enough pornography. He's seen every part of a woman's body that he could possibly see. It doesn't do anything for him anymore. He's seen so much porn and hard porn. And you know what? He finally comes to that point where he says, you know what? That doesn't do anything for me anymore. I need something else. That doesn't excite me. That doesn't do anything for me. And so because of that, we've got crazy things that are going on in America today, and it's all because somewhere along the line we got away from the word of God. So I know, this is not a, a popular message, but it's a message that needs to be preached. And so holy living demands separation from fornication. Quickly, quickly, number two, uncleanness. Look at verse five. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, uncleanness. It's the Greek word uh, akatharsia, and it means impure, and it means impure physically or morally. Listen to this. The word uncleanness, and I'm, I'm really going to speed up for you here, so hang, hang there with me. The word uncleanness means impure motives, impure motivations. Now, when we see that word uncleanness in our Bible, we often connect uncleanness with lust and true lust. Is uncleanness, but that's not the only kind of uncleanness. If your motives are wrong, if your motives are wrong, you're guilty of uncleanness. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4, quickly, quickly. Acts chapter 4, and look at verse number 34. And we find a couple here by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Their, 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 Their issue, their sin, was not lust necessarily, although it may have been a lust for popularity? Was it physical lust? But we notice here that Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of uncleanness because their motives were impure. Now, to understand Acts chapter 5, we have to go back to Acts chapter 4. And so look at Acts 4 and verse number 34. And notice what's happening here. Acts 4 verse 34. And look what's happening in the early church. The Bible says, neither was there any among them that lacked For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it. At the apostles' feet. So Barnabas, he just, he just sold this land. He just brought it all and just laid it before the apostles' feet. Well, look at Acts 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession. Verse 2, here it is. And kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land? Why has it remained? Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You see where I'm going? They had very impure motives. Their motives were wrong. And according to the word of God, and according to this definition right here, they were guilty of uncleanness. And the Bible says these sins bring the wrath of God. Listen to this little story. There was an elderly man on the beach, and he was walking down the beach, and all of a sudden he kicked something with his foot, and he thought, man, well, I thought, I thought it was a tin can. And he looked down, and it was a magic lamp. And so he picked it up, and he polished it, and all of a sudden, man, a genie popped. And the genie said, you know what, because you, you freed me, I'm going to grant you a wish. The man thought for a moment, and he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what I want. He said, my brother and I had a fight 30 years ago, and he hasn't spoken to me since. He said, I, I wish that he'll finally forgive me. All of a sudden, man, there was a thunderclap, and, and, uh, and the genie said, your wish is my command. And then the genie said this. He said, you know, he said, I'm a little surprised. He said, most men would have asked for wealth or fame, but only you only wanted the love of your brother. He said, is it because you're old and dying? And the man said, no way. He said, but my brother is old and he's dying and he's worth about $60 million. (laughs) Now, y'all know what that is? That's impure motives, (laughs) impure motives. He's guilty of uncleanness. Very quickly tonight. How about this? This third thing is called inordinate affection. Colossians 3 verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. Now hear me out. We're going to be done soon. Hear me out. Inordinate affection. Interesting word. It's the Greek word pathos. Pathos or passion. And it means suffering from depraved pathos. Suffering from depraved passion. How many have ever heard of a pathological liar? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, they can never tell the truth. They are a pathological liar. How many have ever heard of a pathological serial killer? They just keep killing and killing. Or a pathological rapist. Church, I'm gonna tell you something. Right here, this inordinate affection, this is a sad, sad place to be. You know why? Because this is somebody who's consumed with some type of a depraved Passion. now you know what it could be I hope it's not I hope it's not it could be there's a young man in here tonight and you're consumed with lust hey fellas I got some good news for you there's deliverance Jesus can deliver you from that there might listen as far as that goes there might be a man in here an adult man and you're consumed with lust but here's the thing and it not only has to do with lust, That word means this. You can be consumed with other things. You can be consumed with bitterness. You may be consumed with anger or unforgiveness. Or how about this? There may be somebody here tonight and you are consumed with guilt. You did something in your past life and now you're saved and you're trying to live for the Lord and and yet the devil just keeps bringing it up and he keeps bringing it up and man, he just constantly reminds you where you came from and what you used to do and how you used to live and and you say, preacher, I, I love coming to church. I want to come to church, but I feel so guilty and I want to sing in the choir, but I'm just, I feel so guilty and I don't think I could. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's inordinate affection. Man, when you're 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 just consumed. You have a, a passion. Maybe you're consumed with guilt. Maybe you're consumed with anger. Maybe you're consumed with revenge. But it's that, that passion. Now, it's 750. But let me show you what I'm talking about. Take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Samuel 13. With, with each of these things, the Bible gives us numerous illustrations. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we find a young man by the name of Amnon. Amnon was suffering from inordinate affection. He had a passion, and it was a depraved passion. Look at 2 Samuel 13, verse one. The Bible says, and it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her and Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar for she was a virgin and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her that word vexed there means to be distressed or to be bound he was bound he had a sick depraved passion that was wrong and yet it was eating him up and he thought, I can't do it. I can't do this. It's wrong. I can't do this. But you know what our Bible says? But Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend, young people. And that young friend was subtle and, and, and deceptive. And, and he talked Amnon into going, going ahead and carrying out his depraved passion. And you know the story, don't you? The Bible says that Amnon raped his own sister. And church, I'm telling you, from that day on, it was nothing but devastation and destruction uh, for David and his family and murder and killing and sadness and grief and heartache. Now, what's your point, pastor? Here's my point. Paul's writing to this church, the church of Colossae. When, When Paul mentions these things, they know what he's talking about. They've lived in it. And Paul says this, hey, when you're living the new life in Christ, you come away from these things. You come out of these things. Let me finish up tonight. How about this? Number next is something called evil concupiscence. Verse five, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. It's the Greek word epithemia, and it means a desire for what is forbidden, a desire for what is forbidden. It is a craving, a craving for something that's forbidden. Now, what is that? What's it talking about, preacher? It could be anything. Another person's spouse is forbidden. Everybody with me? Hey, kids, taking something that doesn't belong to you, that's forbidden. Many, many years ago, Zach was down, in. uh, he was on his way to... uh, to uh, Trinity, they, they would, he was driving back and forth to Trinity Christian School, and he got a ticket. He was going a little too fast, and he got a ticket. and We had to go down to Salisbury to the courthouse to try to to try to resolve it, and uh, and I'd never been there before, and so I, I went down with him, of course. And when I got down there, the line was like a mile long. That's not an exaggeration. It was it was wound out of the courthouse, you know, inside, outside, and so uh, we're we're waiting on the line with all these people. And there was a family right in front of us and and this mom is a mom and I think a dad and a son and this mom was just fussing, cussing, going on. I don't know why we have to do this. This is so ridiculous that they make us come down here and wait in this long line and we have to do away with our cell phone and and we got to go through all this. I mean, besides, all he did was take a a carton of milk out of the store. Y'all know what that is? That's evil concupiscence. Taking something out of Walmart when you haven't paid for it, that's forbidden. That's craving something, that's forbidden. Desiring someone else's job, that's forbidden. How many remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 21? I won't have you go there, time's late, but 1 Kings chapter 21, Ahab is an example of evil concupiscence. The Bible says that he craved for a garden that belonged to somebody else, a person by the name of Naboth. Naboth's garden came up hard to the palace and and, uh, Ahab said, I want that garden. And he came to Naboth and said, listen, I'll pay you for it. And Naboth said, no way. He said, man, this is given to me from from my family. And he said, it's been in the family for years and years and years. And he said, I just, I can't sell it. The Bible says that Ahab went home and he laid on his bed and wouldn't eat. And he just like a little kid. You know what happened? The Bible says Jezebel went out and had Naboth killed. And they took Naboth's land. You know what that is? That's evil concupiscence. Now, when we're living the new life, we're to to put away these kind of things. We're done tonight, but look at this last one. The last one is the word covetousness. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Pleonexia. It's the Greek word pleonexia, and it means a greedy desire to have more and a willingness to become fraudulent to get it. And so, you know what? You want it so bad, you're willing to do anything to get it. And the Bible says that's covetousness. Now, what, what, what are you saying, preacher? This is what, this is what Paul is saying to these new Christians who've come out of this, that this is what they're used to. Brother Ethan has a great song. He sang about that goodly heritage. They didn't have that. They came out of paganism, heathenism, idolatry. And Paul writes these Christians, these young Christians, and says, hey, you're saved now. You're born again. And now that you're born again, you're to live a new life. And as you're living this new life, there are some things that you need to put away because these things bring the wrath of God. Living the new life. Now, there's so much else I could say tonight. We don't have time to do it. But hey, listen, are you living the new life? Are you living the new life? I, listen, church, I'm just gonna tell you something. I think it's, we're gonna have to get back to some preaching in America. Amen. And just tell it like it is. It's not fun. We're not. I knew, listen, I knew tonight we were going to swing from the chandeliers tonight. I knew that. I knew anybody wave, waving their hanky tonight and saying, Whoa, glory, I, I knew that wasn't coming tonight. But you know what? And here's what's really, really sad, isn't it? Everybody wants everybody to tell them the truth except the preacher. If you go to the doctor and you're sick and can't get better, <coughs> And that doctor figures out you've got a tumor and you've got stage two. You've got stage two cancer, stage two. Not stage four, you've got stage two. You could do something about it. He, he examines you. He comes out in the waiting room a little bit later and he says, well, here's the problem. And he said, you've got a virus. You've got a virus. I'm gonna prescribe some Flonase and some Vicks Vapor Rub and, and uh, you just go home and apply that and, You'll be all right. Wait a minute now. Six months down the road, you realize you didn't have a virus. You had a tumor. And now you have went from stage two to stage four. You know what you do? You stomp back in that office and you say, what were you thinking? Why didn't you tell me the truth? You knew I was sick? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me what was right so I could do something about it? We want our doctors to tell us the truth. We want our lawyers to tell us the truth. And then we come to the house of God and we want the preacher to, to just sort of, you know, tiptoe around the tulips. Oh, yeah. And listen, if it's right for the doctor to tell the truth and if it's right for the lawyer to tell the truth, it's right for the man of God to tell the truth. Yeah. And that may hairlip all of union growth. So I says, preacher, you keep doing stuff like that. We're not gonna have 10,000. We never started out to have 10,000. We started out to honor this book right here. Amen. Amen. And to preach the word of God. And if we have 10,000, praise the Lord. Or if we have 10, Amen. praise the Lord. But we'll just keep on preaching. Amen. You know, say, so well, Pastor, if you keep preaching like that, they may, uh, they may uh, you know, take your ordination away. They may. They may. But I'll keep preaching. Amen. I told a little story this morning over the Spanish church. John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. They said that John Bunyan had a, had a little blind daughter. And they said that he, he had been locked up in the bed for jail for 12 years, 12 years, church. He spent that bed for jail 12 years for preaching the gospel. And they said one day his little, little daughter came to the jail and she looked through those bars, and little tears were streaming down her cheeks. She said, oh, daddy, 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 daddy. She said, I got good news, I got good news. And he said, well, honey, what is it? And she she said, Daddy, they're going to let you go. They're going to let you go. And he said, honey, if they're going to let me go, there's got to be some kind of a string attached. She said, oh, no, Daddy. She said, listen, they said they'd let you go if you'll just quit preaching Jesus. And John Bunyan looked through those bars with tears streaming down his cheeks, and he said, honey, I love you like the world But he said, "If they let me out today, I'll preach Jesus tomorrow." Holy living, holy living. We got to get back to holy living again. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this time we've had together tonight. Father, I want us to be an excited congregation. I want us to be a unified congregation. I want us to be a happy congregation. But God, I know this, we're going to have to be a holy congregation. If we're going to have the touch of God and the breath of God, we're going to have to walk holy. Father, and that holiness means living a new life, putting off some of those things that we used to do, some of those things that we were used to in a former life. God, living a new, a, a new life in Jesus. Lord, I, I just, here's what I pray. I pray that you're pleased by what I preach tonight. And then I pray that you spoke to somebody's heart. Maybe tonight, Father, you'd help some young man to, to steer away from disaster. Maybe there's a person in our church right now that's been suffering temptation The devil has been tempting them to to do something. And tonight, Lord, you'd use this message to, to steer them away from that temptation, to give them a new resolve, Lord, to serve the Lord. Father, I pray that your work in this invitation have your will and way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I'm gonna ask our very quietly our baptism workers if they'll make their way to their stations tonight and if you're going to be baptized tonight then if you go ahead and make your way to our dressing rooms and they'll be there to help you and meet you alright with our heads bowed and our eyes closed let me ask a question tonight how many are here how many are here this evening And you'd say, preacher, come on now. I want you to be honest with me. You'd say, preacher, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I would go to heaven. If that's you, you just slip your hand up. All right? You can lower your hands. Thank you so much. Let me ask you another question, though. I want you to be honest, okay? How many right now, this very second, If you were to die right now, this very second where you're seated at, who is here tonight who would say, Preacher, I am not sure that I would go to heaven. And I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me tonight. Who's like that tonight? Right now, you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, remember me. I see that hand. I see that hand. And I see that hand right there who else come on come on come on be honest preacher I don't know for sure if I died right right now I don't know I'd go to heaven come on be honest if that's you courage have the courage slip your hand up right now let me pray for you amen God bless you buddy thank you who else I see your little hand right there buddy thank you who else preacher if I died right now I'm not sure I'd go to heaven would you pray for me would you pray for me right now would you pray for me All right? Our personal workers, y'all be sure y'all go ahead and get in place if you will. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Hey, I'm just gonna ask you, are you living a holy life? I'm not saying we don't fall. We do. We stumble. We we have times when we're weak. I, I, I get all that, but... Are you living a holy life? Are you walking in holiness? Not not better than thou, that's not what I'm talking about, not holier than thou. I'm no better than any man, and no man is better than I am. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, no man stands higher than I. I can call on Jesus' name, the king can do the same. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm not talking about being better than somebody, I'm just talking, asking you this. Are you walking a holy life, holiness, holiness? If God spoke to your heart tonight and you need to come in just a moment, I want you to come. If you're here tonight and just a while ago you raised your hand and you said, Pastor, I'm not sure about heaven. I'm not sure about heaven. I want you to do something for me right now. I want you just to peek up here at me. Just peek up here at me. If you raise your hand and you said, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I want you just to look up here at me. There you go. Amen. Amen. Hey, were you serious about that? Were you serious about it? If you were serious, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask you to make a bold move. In just a moment, we're gonna stand. Now I'm gonna ask you to step out and make your way down to this altar. And we're just gonna take a Bible and show you how you can know that you're gonna miss hell and spend eternity in heaven. I might ask you to come. So real quietly all around the house, would you stand with us tonight? Father, thank you for all that you've done today. It's been a good day. God, I'm concerned. Lord, there were probably at least, at least four or five hands that went up tonight. And so, Father, right now, I'm asking you to give courage. God, I'm asking you to give faith. Right now, those that have raised their hands and said they're not sure about heaven, Father, I pray they'll step out and come and let us take the word of God and show them how they can know that they know that they know that they know that they're on their way to heaven. Father, help us right now. Working hearts of Christians. Help us to live holy lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Hey, if you raise your hand right now, I want you to step out. Would you come? Would you come? If you were serious, if you were serious, you raised your hand, you looked at me, come on. you were serious, I want you to step out right now. Just step out and come, and we're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna make you give a speech, nothing like that. We just wanna take God's word and show you how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. Would you come while we wait? Will you come? Will you come?